Take out your Bibles with me. Would you and turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1, page 44 in the Bibles that you have in front of you. Uh, this morning, we're going to learn from two, two unfamiliar women who are found way back in the book of Exodus. I did some asking around over the past few weeks. And as I mentioned these two women's names, as I mentioned Zephorah and Puah, I asked people off the top of their heads, do you know who they are? And very few people could tell me who they were right off the top. So before I reveal who they are to you, let me give you a little bit of background to their stories. Background to the book of Exodus. Okay, my guess is most of you know the basic plot of the book of Exodus, right? The story starts in chapter 1 with the people of Israel trapped as slaves in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And by the time we get to the end of the book, by the time we get to chapter 40, the people of Israel have walked out of Egypt and they survived the desert for 40 years and they're at the border of the promised land looking at their future home, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. And the hero of the book who takes them all that way is Moses, right? Moses is the one who stands defiantly in front of Pharaoh, right? Moses is the one who calls down plague after plague after plague after plague. Moses is the one who leads their exodus out of Egypt. Moses is the one who holds the staff over the Red Sea and the waters part. And he's the one who, who calls the waters back down on Pharaoh's army. Moses is the one who, who calls for water out of the rock in the middle of the desert. Moses is the one who meets God on the top of Mount Sinai. Moses is their liberator and their deliverer. He's the Abraham Lincoln, freer of the slaves and champion of freedom. He's the hero of this story, of this book. But the book of Exodus is not his story. We need to know that. He may be the lead actor in this part of the story, but it's not his story. The form and structure of the book of Exodus does not put Moses at the center, in the spotlight. Any ancient reader of the book of Exodus, or, or more appropriately, anyone hearing the story of Exodus, since it was an oral society, anybody hearing the story of Exodus again would immediately see from the opening chapters of this book now, what we are witnessing in this story is a duel between two divine titans, a duel between two gods. You, you know what helped me picture? What I pictured when I, when I looked at this plot of Exodus, my mind goes back to the old Rocky movies, right? Specifically back to Rocky IV, if you've gone back to Rocky IV. It's the one where still, it's still at the height of the Cold War between the United States and the USSR, right? And Rocky Balboa takes on Ivan Drago, right, from Russia, the fighting machine. This was, Rocky IV was the most successful of all the Rocky movies. In fact, it was the highest grossing sports film for 24 years straight until just lately, The Blind Side took it over. 24 years. What made it so successful? Why was it such a powerful movie? Well, because they made it clear that it was more than just a story of two boxers in a ring. This was a story, this was a conflict between two countries, two dynasties, two philosophies, two political giants pummeling, pummeling each other in that ring, and only one was going to come out the champion. 
That's exactly the image that we are given here in the book of Exodus. We're invited to get our buckets of popcorn and to witness this titanic battle between two gods, between two spiritual powers, between two ways of understanding the world and understanding eternity. Right, so, so chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Exodus bring out the fighters. They bring out the duelers. And in one corner, representing the world power of Egypt with all of its vast wealth and military strength, representing the deity of the kings of Egypt who are considered to be gods themselves, right, stands Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself. We meet him in verse 8. Right, verse 8 tells us that, that then a new king whom, to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Here's Pharaoh. He's a ruthless and harsh force against the people of Israel, forcing them into slavery. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to, to suppress them, including infanticide, killing all the baby boys in order to control their population. Pharaoh, this world power, steps into the ring. And we need to see him, when we're introduced to him here, as more than just the current king of Egypt. He steps into the ring, representing Egyptian gods, representing all of their power, all the wealth and wisdom of the empire, everything that stood in opposition to the God of the universe, everything that stood against God's people. And when his antagonist Moses steps into the ring in the opposite corner, it really isn't just Moses. This isn't his story. Moses steps in representing the God of the universe. God's earthly representative fighting the spiritual battle. The people of Israel, the Old Testament people, would, would read the book of Exodus as a titanic battle between Pharaoh and Moses representing two gods. This is a profound moment. This goes way beyond some historical story of a nation. This goes beyond this underdog feel-good story. Everything hangs in the balance here in this epic cosmic conflict between the gods. And through Moses, read the book of Exodus, you'll see God going round after round after round with the God of Egypt and Pharaoh. He lands blow after blow after blow with these ten plagues, proving his superiority every time. And when Pharaoh goes ahead and makes one last-ditch effort, right? One last-ditch effort on behalf of his God and his nation— God brings the waters of the Red Sea crashing down on his army and delivers the final knockout blow. And Moses stands victorious, representing God, the spotlight on God and his representative, God's flag flying high and proud. Okay, there's the overarching story. But Moses, the hero of this story, right? His big break came before he even realized it. Before he even knew it. He got his big break from the most unlikely place, 
from an unknown group of women who took their stand in the middle of this clash of titans. We get to meet two of these women in Exodus chapter 1. Shifra and Pua. I need to say that name more often, don't I? Listen to their story. Exodus 1, starting at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. So before Moses gets the spotlight, before Moses takes his bold stand against Pharaoh, before Moses dares to be obedient to God in the face of evil and injustice, before he's even born, two women model for him the courage to take a stand for God and for justice and for what is right and good no matter the cost. And Moses lives to see the light of day because of their courage. So, who were Shifra and Pua? Well, they were, we're told they're Hebrew midwives. Hebrew midwives. It was their job to deliver the babies of the Hebrew women. And it seems pretty clear that, that there were more than just two of them serving this role for a whole nation. So we can assume that Shifra and Pua stand here on behalf of the whole midwife community. This whole midwife community who came together and chose which God they were going to follow. Chose in which corner they were going to stand. And then who had the courage to take their stand no matter the cost. Okay, to, to be a midwife was by definition to live in the shadows, to be an extra in the background, right? They were never the star of the story. The mother in labor, she's the center, the star in the drama of birth, right? And, and soon that spotlight shifts from the mother to the baby, either to celebrate this healthy new life that's there or either to settle the tension for good or for bad if there are complications. And by the time things have settled down enough to look around in this story, the midwife is probably already gone. Maybe on her way to her next prospective mother. Maybe already back home. You see, it was a, it was a, a hidden, bittersweet kind of job for these women 
Because there's a, good, there's a good chance, a good probability that midwives in Israel were the barren women of the society. Right? So in a society where, where family was so highly valued, the women who couldn't have children of their own found their place in the society by helping other women bring life into this world. They got to celebrate the joy of new life for others again and again and again and again. But they never got to experience it themselves. Now these women, these Hebrew midwives, have a choice to make. Pharaoh is so scared that this Israelite slave community is growing too fast and too big and he needs to control their population. His version of population control is to kill all the baby boys immediately when they're born. And in an evil twist, he looks to the midwives, these agents of life, and tries to turn them into agents of death. He commands them to murder the babies that they are helping to deliver. Now these women must pick a side in this cosmic battle. They need to pick which corner of the ring they're going to stand in. Will they stand with the invisible God of Israel or will they stand with the visible Pharaoh? And it's not an easy choice to make because Pharaoh looms large in front of them, larger than life. Pharaoh stands there with the power to punish and he's already proven that he's not scared to kill. God, on the other hand, God in the other corner, has seemed to be absent and quiet for 400 years. His power looks less than fearful as his people have swirled down into slavery to the Egyptians. So which one will they choose? The power of the government, the power of law, the power to punish is clearly in Pharaoh's corner. And as horrible as it might sound, the choice to obey Pharaoh's command and kill the babies was probably the easier choice. After all, they were just being obedient, right? Fear the government. Fear the law. Do what you're told. Stand with what is seen and known. That's the safest route, the easiest choice for them to make. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Here's the first recorded incident of civil disobedience, right? 40 plus years before Moses walked into Pharaoh's throne room to confront him on behalf of God Almighty. But 80 years, we're 80 years out. Shifra and Pua confront him first. They stand before the most powerful ruler in the world, before the man whose word is law before the man who has the power to condemn and kill them with a single word. And they stand there, these two women, 
and they refuse to give in and they refuse to back down and they refuse to obey what they know is wrong why how did they make this horribly difficult choice well verse 17 tells us that they did it because they feared God now understand what that means we talked about this before but it's so important for us to remember to fear God isn't to be afraid of him they weren't picking the lesser of two dangers here right they're more afraid of God than they're afraid of Pharaoh so we'll choose it no to fear God by definition is to respect and honor him so much that you will submit to him that you will trust him enough to obey him right that's why Proverbs 9 verse 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom not being afraid of God but respecting and honoring God so much that you trust him and obey him that is wisdom and that's exactly what Shifra and Pua did when forced to pick their side to choose a corner obey Pharaoh or, or obey God stand with Pharaoh or stand with God follow the law of the land or follow the law of God they chose to stand with God no matter the cost and yes there was significant cost to be had for taking that stand they walked into Pharaoh's throne room uncertain that they would walk out alive in fact they were probably pretty certain that they would not walk out alive but they walked in certain that they were honoring God certain that they were obeying him absolutely certain that they were trusting him Shifra and Pua model for us courage the courage to do what is right even when there's a cost and God in his graciousness spared them the cost of their obedience right? we're told in verse 20 that God was kind to them he blessed their work and Israel grew through them he spared their lives and he also blessed them by giving them families of their own that line suddenly takes on more meaning doesn't it remember these midwives were probably barren women but because of their courage to stand for God he gives them families of their own the desire of their heart God spares them the cost of obedience but that's not always the case is it in fact obeying God usually doesn't guarantee blessing in return and the reward isn't the point here they stood for the cause of justice and righteousness and love not because they assumed it would bring them blessing they didn't know it would they assumed that they were walking to their death they stood for justice and righteousness and love because that's what it means to stand with God that's what it means to be in his corner and if standing with God brings blessing then that's just an added unexpected bonus 
Because most often, standing with God comes at a cost. It comes with a price. And it takes courage to stand there. It takes profound obedience. Oftentimes, it is really, really hard. And if you and I are going to stand with God in our lives, if we're going to do God's will and see his kingdom come on earth, then you and I are going to need the same courage that Shifra and Puah showed us here in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to need the courage to obey the moral demands of God, the courage to stand for truth and justice and righteousness and love wherever God has placed us to be a voice for all those things in our homes and in our schools and in our businesses and in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our churches and in our online presence. And you know what? It's our willingness to choose to stand for God, to stand with God in His corner that He will use power. You and I may not take center stage with the spotlight on us for all to see and celebrate like Moses did. That might not be where God is calling us. It probably isn't where God is calling us. But before Moses came to center stage as a heroic deliverer of God's people, these unknown women, Shifra and Pua, stepped out of the shadows for just a moment. And they delivered the deliverer. They were Israel's first deliverers. God's saving miracle started with two women who had the courage to stand with God and do what's right, even though they knew the consequences. God moves through simple people who right in the middle of their daily lives, doing right what they've been called to do, have the courage to do what's right. If you watch the Rocky movies, you know that Rocky Balboa had a seemingly never-ending line of boxers waiting to fight him, right? When one went down, there was another one waiting in the wings. That's why there's eight Rocky movies in this series, right? In Exodus, Pharaoh goes down hard before the power of the one true God. But there's a never-ending line of enemies waiting to challenge our God. And in the pinnacle moment of history, God cements himself as champion of eternity by bringing down Satan himself, right? The definition of godlessness and evil. And he brings him down through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. But even now, even after that glorious victory, enemies continue to step into the ring. They continue to force us to choose sides, force you and I to decide which corner we're going to stand in. Will we have the courage to stand with God? Or will we give in and stand with greed and pursue our own gain instead? Will we have the courage to stand with God? 
Or will we give in to loveless, compassionless principles that dismiss the least of these broken people in our world as unimportant? Will we have the courage to stand with God? Or will we stand with hedonism and pleasure and just live our lives to eat, drink, and be merry and to have as much fun as we can until we die? Will we choose to have the courage to stand with God? Or will we just stand wherever the gods of this world and this culture and this nation tell us to stand? Will we step out of the shadows for even a moment and have the courage to be seen standing for God when there's a cost to that? Here in Exodus chapter 1, Shifra and Pua boldly step out of the shadows for just a moment. And they show us that God can bring about huge changes, Moses-sized changes, through the simple and profound obedience of regular people. Regular people like you and like me who have the courage to stand with God and do what we know is right. Look at your life where God has called you, where will you stand? Would you pray with me? God, you know how tempting it is for us to stay in the shadows. It's safer in the shadows. There's no consequences, at least no earthly consequences, to stain in the shadows. And yet you call us to step into the spotlight. You give us moments and opportunities to take a stand courageously for you, sometimes in really big ways and sometimes in ways that aren't noticed by very many people. But they certainly are noticed by you. And you certainly use those courageous stands that we take to shape this world and to shape our culture. And so, Father, forgive us for the times when we have chosen to be timid and to hide in the shadows. And next time that you give us that opportunity, Next time you give us that that calling to step into the spotlight for you, to stand courageously in your corner, even when it might not be popular, even when there might be a cost that comes for standing for what is right and just and loving and godly, would you please give us the courage, as you gave the courage to Shifra and Pua, to step into that light and to stand in your corner with you, the God of the universe, to trust you enough to do what you say. Give us that kind of courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.